0: Hello and welcome to Green Left Radio. We apologise for uh, not having our usual intro, as uh, we are experiencing some uh, technical difficulties in the studio at at the moment. Um, but we have uh, a yeah, we have here in our studio today as usual. You you on the panel, Fergal, Zane and myself, Dennis. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, and uh, as usual, as usual, we start off with um, with a new news and current affairs section. Now, if you have been around uh, for the last few weeks re- regardless of whether you're in Australia or anywhere else uh, in the world, chances are chance you uh, chances are you would, you would have heard about a horrific terrorist attack that took place in Paris recently. Now, what you would not or you probably wouldn't have heard is that almost uh, Id- almost an identical attack also took place in Beirut on the very in Beirut in Lebanon on exactly the same day. Uh, November fourteenth. The scale of uh, the death toll certainly was uh, was less than the one in Paris, which could possibly explain the complete absence of uh, mainstream media coverage of it. It de- does not make the deaths of uh, of innocent people in in Beirut any less. Relevant than than the ones in Paris. To cover the story, uh, Green Left Weekly ran, ran this wonderful article by Bill Fernandez, which was reprinted from Tele, from Telusur English. And uh, she also writes that uh, even U.S. President uh, Barack Obama did not actually say anything about the Beirut attacks while he while he characterized the situation in Paris as heartbreaking and an assault assault of on all of humanity. There's also the prevail. There's also this. Uh, prevailing notion in the West that as far as bombs, explosions and killings go, Lebanon is simply one of these places where such things happen. So it's one of those places where we seem to have gotten used to uh, hearing news of bombs, deaths and violence. Mm. It doesn't make, but it's it doesn't, not
1: true, is it? It's like the worst attack in twenty years or something. In, one in Beirut,
0: one of the worst. Well, since at least since the Southern Six Lebanon War, mm. basically, yeah. Well,
2: I just think, I mean, what about all the terror attacks of uh, US drones in Pakistan? You know, mm. dropping a bomb on a wedding. Exactly. What, where's that announced? Where's a that, like that? That's terror. Yeah, that's yeah. terror. You know, like a, an, an imperialist force in another nation uh, uh, imposing a, a doctrine, or you know. A, you know, seizing the means of economic production of another nation, that's terror.
0: Yeah, or perhaps the the uh, the well, um, the much more well-known bombing of a Nobel Peace Prize winner by another Nobel Peace Prize winner. That is, I'm talking about the uh, Medicine Sans Frontières uh, Hospital in uh, Afghanistan being bombed by the U.S. Uh, Air Force. Uh,
2: and how about the terror inflicted by the Israelis on the Palestinians?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's 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 that uh, had recent suicide bombings taken place since say I would say one thing before we move on. See, if the bombings in Lebanon actually took place, uh, you know, let's say in a upscale Beirut nightclub or a beach resort or other Lebanese venue, about uh, about which the superficial Western media love to exclaim, the human fallout may have aroused a little bit more audience. Well, from the tragedy in Paris and Beirut to Australia. The Australian government now detains New Zealand citizens on Christmas Island. As of December last year, as some some of us may know, anyone who is not an Australian citizen, who has spent 12 months or more in jail, can be deported at the discretion of the Immigration Department. And By September, 75 New Zealanders and Pacific Islanders were were being detained on Christmas Island, awaiting deportation in a nine-month period. 406 New Zealand, New Zealand citizens had their visas cancelled. 95 have been deported and up to 184 were being held in deten- detention centres. Some excellent research work there from Sarah Hathaway in the, in, the, in the Green Life Weekly article. This might really sort of pale in comparison to the, to the treatment that the you know, refugees and asylum seekers are receiving, but it certainly piles on to... To the, to the to the treatment that uh, that the, 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 those people are receiving on Christmas Island, and also one of the New Zealanders awaiting deportation is Ricardo Young, who has lived in Australia for since he was four years old and regards himself uh, as an Australian. And I think it's um, it's not it's 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 not just uh, coming to the it's not just a case of. You know, uh, New Zealand uh, citizens are being deported for criminal activities, but the treatment of, uh, of 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 the of the Kiwis in Australia has really uh, has has really been quite atrocious when you think when you think about it. Because even even New Zealand workers have been uh, greatly mistreated, and uh, you know, not uh, a lot of their labor rights not not respected. The national Un- the Na- National Union of Workers itself has actually been trying to trying to build a campaign to re- to make sure New Zealand. Workers' rights recognised, you know, in an equal manner to those of the Australian citizens uh, here. A bit of a while back, many of us heard about the death of the uh, 30-year-old Ar- Iranian Kurd Fazal Chagani, who was uh, who actually first arrived in Australia in 2001, but uh, died after escaping from the d- detention centre. Uh, he uh, he was actually granted refugee status in 2012 and spent a few months living in community detention centre. Before being convicted of the assault in the uh, of Philatenean detention center, but he was suspended. He was suspended though, and um, he's kind of he's kind of been he's been you know tossed around around the detention centers in, in Australia for quite a bit. So from Melbourne to Brisbane and back to Christmas Island. Uh, amazingly, amazingly, uh, Fazel was actually. Um, uh, sent a, a letter inviting him to apply for a temporary protection visa to leave in Australia. That's shortly before that. Shortly before he died, even though even though his, his his application failed in the end. But but I think I think it's uh Fazil has, Fazil has become sort of a um, added on to the list added on to the you know the growing growing list of uh, refugees from. Um, I, I, I would actually say Muslim refugees that have actually that have that have perished, you know, in other in detention centers so far. What's and I think I think what, what makes this tragedy even worse is that uh, he was in, in Iranian Kurd and he was an established refugee. Now to the news on the environmental front, the federal government has now s- uh, spent one point twenty two billion dollars on its direct action policy that is supposed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions but will actually allow them to increase so um, the results of the government's second round of emissions reverse auctions that are taking place under the direct action uh, uh, policy they revealed that they've paid five hundred and fifty seven million dollars to companies in return for emissions cut of forty five million tons of uh, carbon carbon dioxide and the ga- the government has now spent on almost half its 2.55 billion emissions reductions fund to buy up 92.8 million tons, and that really that really is dwarfs in, dwarfs in comparison to the um, target that Australia is supposed to meet, and that's 236 million tons of, of CO2 that we're supposed to reduce by 2020, which is ironically only only five percent below our 2000 levels. Yeah. Just before just before we finish off the show on on the international news, um, there's be, there, there has been a, a bit of a good news coming up on the on the trade unions front. As, uh, as some listeners would have heard, that the Hutchinson sports workers have finally secured a victory Hooray! after, after one hundred and two days on uh, of, of being of being locked out of the uh, locked out of their jobs uh from now from the initial statement that the maritime union of australia has uh, uh, has issued uh, the workers have been uh, have uh, have now gotten back to, back to the job and uh, those who are but they've also been uh, offered uh voluntary redundancy redundancy packages which were which uh, which according to the statement are very, are very are very generous and are supposed to make up for for whatever uh for what for what um uh, the workers are lo- are losing by uh, uh, giving up their jobs. So well done, uh, well done yeah, well done, yeah, well. well done to the well done to the MUA and well done to the MUA and well done to the, well done to the community for supporting the, the workers. Uh, now uh, uh, just just uh, just a quick another uh, quick re- recap of what happened uh, internationally. So in portugal in Portugal, the left throws out the right wing government. I don't we don't get to say this very often on the show, but now is our ch- now is our chance.
1: <laughs> another
3: victory <laughs> exactly,
0: <laughs> exactly exactly just the just. One day it was happening. exactly yeah and so the coalition of, pa- of parties on the Portuguese left that's the socialist party the left block and the communist party um, and, on, and the greens won a motion of no confidence in the parliament on, on November on November 10th so it's uh, Dick Nichols uh, right, uh, right right here so now it's up to them to form an ITF 30 uh, government also, also make sure, also make sure to check out a um, excellent article by uh, by Tony Iltis on Turkey now Erdogan uh, pushes an all out war against Turkish civilians in the town of Silvan and finally remembering Joe Hill the leader of discontent 100 years on from his execution the famous the famous wobbly lives lives on on the picket lines and on the and wildcat strikes
3: you are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday Morning Breakfast Show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio 855 AM digital and streaming live on 3CR.org.au. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Green Left Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues.
2: Yep, yeah, uh, so just some announcements. Uh, tomorrow at 2pm, there's uh, the Moreland election campaign launch for uh, to re-elect Sue Bolton, Councillor of Moreland, that's at the Anatolian Cultural Centre, 195 Sydney Road. Sue's been a tireless campaigner, you know, putting people before profit in the Morland Council, and you know, like uh, it's a you know, as for uh, the Socialist Project in Melbourne, it's very important to see her re-elected. So come along to that, 2 p.m., 195 Sydney Road, Coburg. Uh, at 2 p.m. Saturday, 28th next week, where there's a Socialist Alliance, we'll be doing an eco-socialism workshop. To uh, you know, talk about the importance of, uh, to, you know, of, you, know cl- you know, we need system change, not climate change, and you know, socialism can make that possible, but it's got to be tied in with an ecological perspective to ensure the actual actually happens. And then there's a the radical ideas conference in Sydney on the fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth of December. So jump online and maybe have a check out of that. There'll be all sorts of uh, speakers on different topics on. New, new ideas for the 21st century.
1: And of course, there's the rally against the fascists in Milton on Sunday at 10am in, in Milton. And next Friday afternoon is the People's Climate March. Alright, you are listening to Green Left Radio. And this morning, we have Bev Smiles on the line from the Hunter Valley. Bev is the convener of the Hunter Communities Network. Uh, welcome, Bev. Morning, Zane. Um, now, if you could uh, paint a picture for us, that would be good. Um, what's this the battle like between local communities and big coal across the Hunter Valley and beyond? Because it's not something that's um, talked about on a daily basis outside of Newcastle and the Hunter Valley, but it's uh, pretty intense.
4: That's right, Zane. The Hunter Valley and the Port of Newcastle is the largest export uh, coal port in the world. We have about 30 very large open-cut coal mines and underground mines associated. Uh, last year, I think it was about 190 million tonnes of coal was exported out of the Port of Newcastle. So what this has done to our valley, uh, the scale of these large open-cut coal mines... Uh, It's wrecking the entire river system, the Hunter River, uh, that supports the valley. It's uh, just about lost all our dairy farms now for um, the industry acquiring land and property to keep its expansion going. The Hunter Valley has world-renowned wine industry and thoroughbred horse breeding industry, and both of those industries are also under threat from the ongoing expansion of the coal industry and the environmental impacts such as dust and noise and and loss of good quality water.
1: Hmm. But uh, local communities are, are fighting back against this. What, what are some examples of campaigns happening in, in the Hunter Valley and, and beyond?
4: Well, that is the other thing that's happening is that communities and populations are just being decimated with the, with the expansion of the industry. So we have uh, communities such as the small village of Bolga uh, fighting back against the mining giant Rio Tinto uh, from an expansion closer to their village. Hmm. They've actually won two court cases uh, against that expansion and the New South Wales government just went ahead and changed the rules. So the problem we have in New South Wales is the hand-in-glove approach between government and the coal industry. But the communities left out there are not giving up and are determined to use whatever available uh, tactics and and, uh, avenues that there are to hold off this Uh, Giant industry, which is actually um, in structural decline. So, uh, the the rapid increase of uh, mining extraction was in response to uh, falling prices of coal. So, the industries reacted by ramping up their production. So, they've actually caused a global glut which has caused the price to drop even more. So most of the mines now in the Hunter region are unviable. They're not making a decent profit and the communities are holding out for as long as possible with the expectation that there will be a lot of stranded assets Hmm. in the not-too-distant future.
1: Yeah, and there's been reports... Peabody uh, Coal, a US-based corporation, and Glencore, um, which is, uh, I think they're Swiss-listed, uh, Glencore, who merged with Xstrata. They're both swimming in debt. They've racked up a lot of debt. Uh, I think Rio Tinto and BHP Billiton are not far behind. Um, w- are people in the Hunter Valley starting to talk about a transition? Because it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that some of these companies could go belly up, and that you could get <clears throat> you know several big mines closing. And then, a, a separate to a, I guess a transition, also there's the question of <clears throat> rehabilitation of, of all these massive mine voids. It's like a lunar landscape up your way.
4: That's right. I mean, the uh, ratio of overburden burden, or the, you know, the the soil and dirt and rock on top of the coal seams can be up to 10 to 1. So they've got to shift 10 tonnes of of uh, rock and dirt before they get one tonne of coal out. So it's uh, they're massive operations. And uh, you, you're right, uh, with uh, Peabody's is the company closest to my village of Wallah that we're holding out against their next expansion. Uh, Glencore is the largest owner of mines in the Hunter and they're all laying off uh, employees. That's their first step in trying to uh, increase their efficiencies, as they say. So there's jobs being lost in the Hunter as we speak. There's also mines going into what's called care and maintenance. So it's not a complete... It's closing down the operations, but they hang on to their mining lease just in case things turn around and uh, it looks like they could uh, make a profit again from those operations. So we've got a number of different things going on in the valley now that are job security in the coal industry no longer exists Mm. in the Hunter Valley. They're actually laying off their permanent employees and bringing people back in on contract at much lower rates of pay. So the, the whole economic circumstance in the Hunter is uh, under threat now and the community has been discussing or trying to discuss with people in the industry the concept of let's sit down and discuss rationally a way forward in the Hunter for a just transition towards other industries that will maintain employment rates. Unfortunately, the power of the coal industry and the level of spin and the investment they put into um, beefing up their own image, they have the unions completely um, trapped at the moment. And people employed in the industry are too frightened to actually sit down and talk about a future in the Valley Valley that's different to one that's depended on the coal industry. So it's it's a a real time of change in the Hunter Valley. Um, Those of us that don't want to be any further impacted by the industry than we already are are holding out for as long as we can, and the people in the industry are really under threat. So we're hoping that there will be the opportunity for a sensible discussion uh, for a way forward,
1: but the industry itself is actually preventing that from happening at the moment. Hmm. Now, uh, about a month and a half ago, the New South Wales government approved a fourth coal loader for Newcastle. This is after a long and uh, determined campaign to to try and stop that approval from being pushed through. Um, How would this affect local communities across the Hunter if T4 gets built and they actually try and push enough coal through it to warrant it? Uh, And and do you think that that's actually likely to happen?
4: Well, the whole concept of the fourth coal loader in in Newcastle was at the the height of the boom of the of the industry, when you know coal prices were through the roof, everything was in expansion mode, there were new greenfield mines on the books, everyone wanted a bigger and better mine and and to get more coal out as fast as possible mm. well that 's all gone that boom's gone off now, mm. as I was just saying, so um, that was the whole purpose of the fourth coal loader was to increase the capacity at the port to be able to handle
3: all this additional
1: coal that was, was going to be mined from. All right. Uh, looks like the, uh, coal might've dropped out there. I think we've been having some, uh, issues with that. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on. There's a bit of construction work yeah. next door. Maybe they're, uh, and it's and inside, actually, you know, maybe like it's doing some funny stuff to our phone lines here. At, yeah, uh yeah. 3CR. All right. Well, that's, um, that's Bev Smiles. I don't think we've got time to call Bev back because it's getting pretty close to 8.30. But I'd just like to thank Bev for uh, calling in and uh, we might uh, catch up with her again in a few months' time or something, get another update about community campaigns against King Cole in the Hunter Valley because yeah. uh, it's it's pretty disturbing stuff and it serves to highlight the just the the non-existence of any real serious climate policy by a state or federal governments of either the Liberal or Labor persuasion. No one wants to talk about Australia's massive coal exports. But,
2: and, but just the absurdity of capitalism and this whole overproduction thing, mm. there's no market for it. Mm. They want to you know, keep on you know, all this drive to keep digging up, to keep increasing capacity for a product that's... Not wanted, not needed. Hmm. But there's, you know, hmm. It can't be sold.
0: Yeah, and and on on, on the dollar, uh, also uh, the um, uh, over here in Victoria in the Latrobe Valley, one of the um, uh, one of, uh, one of the uh, one of, one of the Chinese companies actually recently uh, failed to acquire a twenty five million dollar con- contract to. Um, uh to keep to, uh, to keep the uh, to keep uh, you know converting the uh, converting brown coal into into electricity so in the Latro- in the latrobe valley so we're talking about the you know those mm. uh, the last remaining power stations that are still powered by by brown coal in victoria you know the fact that this deal was even still under consideration and you know and and, all, and also uh, and also the the companies were supposed to was supposed to receive a 25 million dollar subsidy <laughs> from the state government on uh you know to keep to uh, to keep to keep producing the um, electricity from one of of uh from brown coal is is atrocious it's mm. yeah. Well. Yeah.
1: Right. well speaking of which it's uh we've been Greenland radio for another week and it's time for beyond zero emissions to come in and continue yeah. talking about climate change and probably a bit more focus on the the solutions that are available
3: right. exactly yeah, so I want to Thanks, Vogel, Dennis, and Zane for coming in. And we'll stay tuned for Beyond Zero, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Greenleft Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Greenleft Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Greenleft Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1 800 634 206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.